Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Realcom webinar. Today, we will be talking about defining the smart building of tomorrow. And I'm really excited to have a great panel with us that will talk about what that actually means. Uh, this is part one of our Smart Building Strategies 3.0 series, and we'll kick off in just a few moments after we go through some housekeeping items. You can use your, um, uh, the Q&A section to submit your questions and comments for the panelists and we'll try to get to all the questions throughout the session. If we don't get back to you today, we'll follow up with you after the event. And you can also download a copy of the presentation from the handout section. For the best webinar experience, we recommend that you log out of any other internet applications that are currently running. And if you do run into any technical issues, you can contact me at sbampret.com.com. We will also be recording the session and we'll make that recording available within the next couple of days. I'd like to thank the sponsors for today's session. We have four gold sponsor, uh, sponsors, IBIS, Igor, Linkspring, and T, uh, POE Texas, and we'll learn more about these companies throughout the session. And we also have a couple of silver sponsors, Bluetooth and prescriptive data. So thank you very much for all the sponsors of today's webinar. And for that, I'd like to introduce you to the moderator for today's event, Eric Ubels. Uh, with decades of experience as an um, industry technologist, Eric is a senior consultant for the smart building industry. Previously, he was CTO with OVG Real Estate um, Edge Technologies, where he laid the foundation for a building management platform at the Edge Amsterdam, which I'm sure all of you are familiar with. So with that, Eric, I'll turn it over to you. And thanks so much for moderating. Thank you so much, Sarah, for this uh, nice introduction. Uh, I would say good morning, but obviously that heavily depends on, on where you are. Uh, me calling in from Amsterdam uh, late late today, uh, but for most of you in the US, probably somewhere either very early in the morning or early morning. Anyway, uh, welcome for all of those participating today in today's session on defining the smart building of tomorrow. We have several very interesting panelists for you all experts in smart buildings one way or the other. And I'm very honored to moderate today's panel on defining the smart building of tomorrow. The many times I was asked to say something about the future of smart buildings, I always responded by saying no one knows. And if one makes a claim that they do know, they will be probably wrong. Other than for sure, we will know that the smart building of tomorrow would need to be very flexible. With a kind of post-COVID situation, uh, we at least now know that people won't take their offices for granted, may not even want to go back to the offices they once knew. Employees now demand safe, healthy, hygienic workplaces. Employers need to offer the best they can, as the shortest of people is fueling the war on talent. What we have seen and see going forward is an ever-broadening definition of what a smart building is. Only a few years back, when I started uh, being engaged in smart buildings, we were talking about energy efficiency, sustainability, or maybe circularity. And it's no longer just energy, but now it includes materials, uh, energy, health and well-being, and a lot of different things. Smart buildings now need to provide comfort and safety, driven by demand, certified by standards like well and reset. Over the last few months, I had several conversations with clients, and I'm not only amazed, but also excited to see the conversation and therefore the definition of smart buildings has been broadening toward a digital transformation, including obviously the new normal hybrid working. So I'm happy to see we'll cover a wide range of those subjects today. Um, and before introducing our first panelist, 
Mark Pietak from Linkspring. We will first have a video uh, introducing Linkspring. Linkspring's Edge to Enterprise for Enterprise and Multi-Sites is a turnkey smart building solution that connects, accesses, and translates operational and facility data from devices and equipment into actionable information. Information that can save energy, increase efficiency, and reduce operating costs while maintaining a higher level of comfort for occupants. The Edge to Enterprise solution consists of hardware and software combined with engineering, deployment, and professional services. It's everything you need to deploy and experience the value of a smart facility enterprise, including connectivity, integration, interoperability, automation, command and control, data access and normalization, analytics, and cloud services. So with that, uh, let's introduce our first guest. We have with us today, uh, Mark Petok, uh, Mark, you should uh, definitely uh, uh, um, tell me how to announce your name, but let's do that in a moment. You're our Chief Marketing and Communication Officer at Linkspring. Uh, Mark is a pioneer in leading the intelligent smart building and mobile to mobile movements, pushing the industry forward, has contributed to transforming and changing the industry and he currently leads Linkspring's corporate in product marketing and communication uh, that supports the company's strategy and growth initiative. Over to you, Mark. Thanks, Eric. Uh, delighted to be here. And it's PTOC, but I, I'll go by any, I'll go by anything. So anyway, but again, I thank you and thank you to all the folks who are attending and uh, my colleagues in arms uh, who are also uh, presenting today. So I'm delighted to share some thoughts on defining the smart building of tomorrow. You'll see here that I've kind of changed it up a little bit. I'm calling it the smarter building of tomorrow. Today, the need for buildings to be smarter is more demanding than ever before. From reducing energy to maximizing operational efficiencies to meeting the new standard for health, comfort, and safety, Stakeholders at every level are deeply invested in how buildings function, both on a day-to-day -day basis and over long-term. So what is a smarter building? So what I'm gonna share with you now is uh, some examples here of categories, elements that truly go into making a, smart, a smarter building. So. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, let me get back, I apologize. So part of these elements are as follows. So start with the business side. Very rarely do, you know, when we, we're talking about smart, smarter buildings, we talk about the business side first. So what makes up the business side? It's your strategy. It is identified KPIs. It's outcomes that you are trying to uh, achieve and its results that you hope to actually achieve by making your building smarter. And again, remember, it's not just the technology that makes up a smarter building, it's the business side as well. The next is convergence. We've heard for the last several years the convergence of OT and IT, and still here, still will be part of the smarter building. But there is a new convergence occurring right now. And this is convergence is the operational side, the operational experience with the workplace experience now, especially 
as we make our buildings uh, smarter and we incorporate all the things that COVID has uh, and taught us that we need to be doing. Third is open technology, open solutions, open protocols. Building needs to be smarter. You've got to embrace the concept of open. Next is interoperability. And I don't mean just the interoperability of the equipment and the systems that are operating within your buildings. It's also the data. That data needs to be interoperable so that you can maximize the use of data. The next is, uh, most importantly, is the concept of data. And data needs order to be useful. Having access to data is not the same as controlling it and making it meaningful to use it. Knowing which data to collect and giving it uniformity is the key, and as well as ensuring the data integrity. Next is analytics, being able to analyze, take all of that data and actually run various analytics in and around it. From the technology perspective, uh, the smarter building, the, the building of the future, will start to incorporate IP technology. Our architecture that makes up the building is changing from a vertical up and down architecture to one that is more horizontal in nature. Next one is the idea of being able to remotely log into your building and be able to control that. I think going through COVID is a really good example of the importance of a smarter building being able to have remote monitoring and remote access. Next is uh, ESG. And I think all of us uh, participating today uh, on the call know the importance now and uh, how ESG is starting to ramp up. Next is cybersecurity. I'd be remorse if uh, I did not say something about cybersecurity. Uh, continuing to making a smarter building is the idea of incorporating risk mitigation. All of these systems, all of these operations, running a business, ensuring that occupants are safe and healthy, so forth and so on, you've got to incorporate the whole concept of risk mitigation. Next is the idea of the building itself truly being treated as an asset. I think that's one of the interesting things that I've seen uh, a movement of recent over the last two to three years that uh, all of us in the industry are starting to view the building as an asset, just like an employee, just like a piece of equipment or whatever, the building is an asset. The next is, and uh, Eric mentioned these, uh, mentioned these the, uh, the option models for returning occupants, whether it's three days a week or utilizing the full building, being able to have different models set up in your systems to be able to address those. Uh, next two is trusted. The building is now has to become a trusted environment. And what I mean by that is all the occupants, whether owner occupied or tenant based, need to feel that they are coming into a space, an environment that is trusted. I know that the uh, we're they're doing everything they possibly can 
to ensure its trustworthiness with respect to healthy and safety. And finally, I'm going to throw this one out, is that remember, the, a building is part of an organizational's brand. How you position that, how you operate it, how it's perceived in the marketplace is an extension of an organizational brand. And again, these are the elements that make up a smarter building. Now, what I want to now share with you is two quick slides on, well, okay, you talk about the elements. I want to share a stack that if you incorporate, utilize this stack, I think you can create that smarter building. So starting at the bottom, it's the physical side. And again, what type of facility are you? Uh, the next is the type of solutions that you're looking to do. Uh, data exchange, um, APIs, delivery, who's going to deliver it, the operational side, KPIs, outcomes, and results. Now, that's nice, you might say, great. But what I want to do is give you an example and close out, and this is a hard to read slide, I apologize. But what I've done is created an example that I hope you all uh, download uh, all the presentations and take a look at it. And uh, because we're getting short on time, I want to concentrate in the top two, the results and the outcomes. So the outcomes, you might say, all right, I want to save energy by X percent. All right, so what does the result of that mean? That means is that that savings of X percent in energy enabled you to reduce your energy spend by another X percent or in hard dollars, pick a figure, $200,000 a month, $500,000 or whatever. So with that, again, I hope you will take some time and look at this. I've provided some uh, examples as far as outcomes, results, and so forth and so on. So with that, Eric, I'm gonna turn it back to you. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Mark. Uh, obviously, uh, I got a couple of questions for you. Very interesting. Um, in your presentation, you talk about several elements that make up a smart building. What do you believe is the one that is the hardest to deliver, and why is that so? I think it's the, the very first bullet point on my slide, which is the business side. And that is, again, figuring out a strategy. In other words, why create a smarter building without a strategy? They go hand in hand. So creating that strategy, identifying KPIs beforehand, uh, also figuring out your outcomes and then the target results. And I think that right there is the hardest thing to do because I believe the business drives the, the smarter building not the technology. The technology is the enabler to deliver on the business outcomes. Thank you. Uh, can you say something how, about how COVID has played a role in defining the smart building of the future or tomorrow? Uh, I think, you know, on the positive side, it was a major, major wake-up call for mm -hmm. us all. It highlighted things we started to do as an industry, uh, but uh, it really put them, pushed them to the forefront, especially the whole comfort safety aspect of it 
and being flexible. You mentioned flexible in your introduction and scalable that you've got to be flexible and scalable today and change because the, our buildings have changed. The way they are occupied, uh, again, uh, is changing. So I think that has really pushed those types of initiatives fast forward uh, that none of us really saw coming. Thanks. Hey, uh, are you, you're doing actually quite nice on time. So, so I had another question, um, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, you, you mentioned um, conversions of OT, IT, and other you know, uh, supporting systems in the building, also cybersecurity. Um, I know that it's almost like a religious discussion now and then whether you want to have a converged IP environment or not. Can you say something about it? Um, well, I, I, again, yeah, I think that is now part of the uh, discussions that occur more frequently than they ever have before. And I, I'm a firm believer in where I, I believe the technology is going and uh, is the whole IP uh, push towards IP. There's a, there's a lot of advantages for that. It supports the open uh, concept. Again, uh, it's, it is, you know, for the most part, like anything, it is cyber secure, you know, nothing is 100%, but, you know, it is cyber secure. It's easy, uh, it's easier. And an IP environment does not mean a building owner or operator has to be locked down with one supplier, vendor, partner. It really opens that freedom of choice up uh, a yeah. lot more than it ever had before. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, obviously, um, we have to move on to our, to our next uh, uh, guest. Uh, I think, Mark, um, looking at uh, uh, the product portfolio of Linkspring is pretty broad. It's, it's really impressive. Uh, you are being able to basically connect anything to IP, I would almost say. Uh, so I, I really you know, suggesting for people to connect to you and to your company and uh, have a close look at it. And thank you so much for your contribution today. Obviously, Thanks, more thank you. Okay, uh, with that being said, uh, let's move on to our next guest, but um, we're going to uh, introduce uh, Jason Whipple in a moment. Uh, Jason is with Ebus, uh, but before we do so, we're going to look at the uh, introduction video uh, of Ebus. where we work should be a place that makes our comfort, security, health and productivity the highest priority. The technologies needed to accomplish these results continue to grow in quantity and complexity at an increasing pace. In order for these systems to achieve an optimal workplace environment, they must be integrated with each other for seamless and efficient functionality. To reach these objectives, a master systems integrator is engaged to utilize an elite resource pool of engineers, technicians, software programmers, project managers, and cybersecurity professionals. A successful master systems integrator must be a collaboration partner and an exceptional communicator. The best integrators can respond and adapt at the speed of client requirements, customize the solution freely, and be agnostic to any and all hardware and software providers. Integrated Building Solutions has worked all over the globe, integrated over 24 million square feet of real estate, and have kept our clients loyal by exceeding their expectations for over 22 years and believing what we do is to make the lives of our clients better. Okay. I think I'm on again. Uh, 
the screens are flipping up and down between the two screens I have here. Anyway, uh, that was very impressive. Uh, Jason, uh, Jason Whipple has been 20 years of experience in uh, um, yeah, commercial real estate, mostly engineering and managing integrated building solutions for the Fortune 500 global companies. Uh, Jason worked on designing and building multidiscipline integrated ecosystems capable of meeting customer needs and experience in delivering enterprise level OT and IT convergence uh, frameworks. And um, with that, Jason, uh, over to your presentation, I guess. Uh, thank you, Eric, for the introduction. Uh, and let me start by saying how grateful we are to participate today. Uh, small little note in the beginning, it looks like that was an older video. Um, our, our name has changed to IBIS. Uh, so uh, IBIS is, is our company name, <laughs> just make sure that's clear. Um, uh, what we wanted to focus on for this webinar is the smart building strategies that produce dynamic and flexible workspaces that adapt to the ever-changing conditions we all find ourselves in recently. Uh, we will start by sharing some feedback that we are receiving from our clients regarding changing priorities for the occupancy of their buildings. The last couple of years have certainly been chaotic and full of often conflicting information coming from every direction. What has become evident to our clients and us is that the importance of ventilation and the changing work paradigm are the two concepts that deserve a higher priority than they have in the past. So to address ventilation, we have found that most organizations are reticent to make massive investments in equipment modifications. Instead, our perspective is that taking a proactive approach to confirming the operation of existing ventilation systems provides the most bang for the buck to assure safe environments for their occupants. On the hybrid work side, we certainly have seen that various flexible work strategies can be rolled out without major changes to building operations, but this produces a waste of energy and funds compared to the reduced occupancy levels of the building. There have been more and more articles released regarding areas with low office building occupancy rates and only minor drops in energy use. For example, a recent article last month on downtown Pittsburgh reported that occupancy is still down 83%, but the energy use in office buildings only fell 4% compared to pre-pandemic levels. We recognize this as not only a waste of resources and contrary to environmental goals, but also as a massive opportunity for efficiency improvements. Now, not every organization can start implementing these changes on the spot and justifying smart buildings and smart building improvements is often a bigger challenge than installing a smart building itself. Our strategy for this challenge is to approach creating or modifying smart buildings by focusing on the performance in three key areas, the occupants, the environment, and the business. Viewing each project through this lens allows an organization to validate the value as well as frequently quantify it so that strong KPIs can be created. Beyond that, it is important to analyze how dynamic a system you are installing is. Can it perform at the same efficiency levels with 10% occupancy as it can with 90% occupancy? As mentioned before, this wasn't an important question previously, but now it is critical to understand losses of operation performance at less than design conditions. Applying the areas of value using change management strategies and in-depth analysis of potential scenarios can drive successful projects through the long term. As the smart building technology partner, we find our clients can proceed with more confidence after utilizing these strategies with us. 
To proceed more into the technical side of the topic, we wanted to revisit a diagram we use frequently that shows cascading levels of building technology systems. What we find is that the conversations concerning AI, digital twins, and data lakes you see at the top of the pyramid are recently worth, are certainly worth having, but the value to the three areas of occupants, environment, and business are better captured at lower levels you see here in the center blue section, specifically mentioning the three in the lower left category of that blue section, indoor environmental quality and uh, integrated smart sequences of operations. What is also vital to explain in this diagram is that the quality of systems and data below directly affect the performance of the systems above. And in the case of the AI data lake and data twin, digital twin, excuse me, it can be extreme as errors and data collection gaps compound and can produce incorrect results. We work with our clients to guide investments in areas that have the greatest net benefits from the bottom up so that the improvement projects can continue to be approved so that eventually the advanced technologies are a potential and can be achieved successfully. I have been mostly speaking about conceptual principles because while we are a technology company, we find it serves our clients better to make sure the guidance comes before the detailed technical information we could provide. That said, I wanted to share how we are putting the principles I've discussed into action. These examples are projects that are in successful operation today and are not pilot technologies, but real solutions deployed over dozens of buildings. The top left screenshot is a examples, our IEQ solution, how we measure air and environmental quality conditions. This data has been, allow, uh, has been able to allow us to see when a room has been cleaned, a general number of people in the room and other valuable data, as well as verify ventilation effectiveness. The top right and bottom, so that the right hand side of the screen here, those two screenshots show how we are calculating the volume of fresh air entering a space and displaying that information in fresh air changes per hour so that operations can tell how long it takes to fully ventilate a space between uses as well as confirm ventilation operation. It's important to note here that no hardware was installed to achieve this result. The bottom left shows how we use existing lighting system occupancy sensors to track space utilization. This data can then be used to put parts of the building and floor that are not in use into an unoccupied mode, saving on fan and cooling and heating energy. This data can be shared with other building technologies or combined with integrations into space reservation applications so that zones can be prepared prior to occupancy and real-time occupancy can be shared with the reservation system. Since we are capturing all the historical data through various operational technologies, you can use tools like the heat maps you can see on the right-hand side of each of the screens, as well as a graphical rewind feature to see conditions at a previous point in time so that troubleshooting issues can be performed easily. This is of course only a sampling of what can be done with smart buildings. And we hope that we have been able to share how adaption to changing conditions can be managed and provide opportunity. So that wraps up the IBIS presentation and I appreciate the opportunity again to present our perspective. Eric, back to you. Thank you so much. A very interesting story, Jason. Um, as a solution provider, do you see a lack of technology as an obstacle to smart buildings? And if not, what is the largest obstacle from your perspective? I think the technology is there, especially when they are all integrated. Um, there are some impressive use cases that can be executed for sustainability, health, wellness, and improving the bottom line. Um, we have clients with integrations to workspace reservation systems, air quality, occupancy tracking, 
that all really allows us to create highly effective and efficient strategies, especially in the flex workspace environments. Uh, what we see as the largest obstacle is, is the, the drive for smart building projects from the right levels within an organization. In the past, we've helped our clients make cases for smart building projects to the C-suite with roadmaps, strategies, ROIs. And what we frequently discover is that despite how good the investment may be or how good we're proving that this is a good project, there is resistance to the belief that a smart building affects more than energy. The healthy building movement is helping this cause, but there is still work to do in changing those mindsets. Mm, yeah. Uh, what, what building data do you feel is not being captured and what should be captured? Uh, that's a tough question because there's so much information that isn't being captured currently. It seems like we capture a lot, but there's a lot more. Um, you know, a good example to me is, you know, there's a lot of DX rooftop package units um, and we usually get, are they running or not? But there's so much information like suction pressure, discharge pressure, all that refrigerant system data that we could be analyzing and, and uh, using. But um, the highest value data to me that is not being captured is occupancy data. Um, I've been seeing this a long time. Uh, and now I think it's even more critical because occupancy rates are so much less predictable. Uh, running buildings without this, this occupancy data or this count of how many people are in the building, uh, it's kind of like keeping the shower running just in case someone feels like taking a shower. Uh, <laughs> the building's facilities should be precisely controlled to the number of people in the building and yeah. where they're located in the building. Hey, and we we got yeah interesting. Uh, obviously, when you talk about occupancy, I think you're talking about a much higher granularity than just being able to say a room is occupied or not. Yeah, and it can actually there's value in every level. I mean, there's value in just knowing how many people are in the building. This is this is a very simple thing that we all just kind of took for granted before because we knew our buildings were about 90% occupied or what have you. But now yeah. we just don't know. And you know, trying to compare energy use to past doesn't make sense anymore because it, every the, the, the occupancy of the building has changed. So those comparisons don't matter. Um, so that is just basically a new metric that needs to be popular. We, we also have a question coming in from the audience and the basic the question is, how do you measure the IEQ without the addition of additional sensors? Uh, it's a good, good question. Um, so we actually, uh, IEQ and ventilation tracking, we put a, a differentiation between those two. Um, what we do is uh, we calculate the amount of percentage of outside airflow coming through the, the air handler units and then do calculations down to every zone level uh, using the existing airflow sensors that are already installed. So it is, it is all calculation, but using those calculations, uh, we can tell um, essentially how frequently a room air change has happened from, from fresh air. Thanks. Um, you also mentioned digital twin. Uh, I, I've been into digital twin. Uh, as soon as I finished the, the edge building, I realized with 28,000 sensors in the ceiling, there's no way I want to manually connect those to, uh, in our case, Azure IoT. So hence Microsoft started this whole smart space now called digital twin. Uh, um, my personal view is you can't do this IoT without digital twin, but I think you have a kind of a a more reluctant kind of view on it. Can you add to that? Yeah, I don't know if reluctant would be how I would phrase my, my personal opinion. I, I think cautious is probably the better term um, yeah. because what we found is uh, even our enterprise campus level um, user uni unified user interface enterprise application 
Um, there is a lot of time and effort that goes into making sure the data we receive is accurate. Um, and that's not just a one-time thing, that's a continual process. And those errors, when you, when you use things at the high level like AI and digital twins, those minor errors end up being major calculation results. Uh, major, you know, errors and calculations results. So it's it to me if if we need to focus on doing all of those fundamental applications much yeah. better with much higher quality before we can rely on the results at that higher level at AI and digital twin. I'm not saying it's not possible, not at all. It's certainly done, but I think for the mass, the vast majority of people, especially listening to this call, um, focusing on those core fundamentals and those high value items in the center should be the focus at currently yeah and, and obviously you mentioned as well as mark initially this this pyramid this stack of uh not only the capabilities but the value goes along with that so i like that a lot so thank you so much jason for your uh for your presentation i'm sure people know how to connect to you and obviously we have another opportunity later on when we have the panel together uh we need to move on uh, our next guest is uh kim johnson before introducing kim to you uh, kim is with igor and we're going to look at the introduction video of igor my name is dwight stewart i'm the founder of igor only five percent of buildings are using advanced controls there's a lighting system, there's a security system, there's a safety system, each one of those systems being end-to-end, -end, their own system. Igor is helping make buildings smart and it simplifies that process. What we do is we make a unified platform, so that really reduces the cost, so you don't have to have that end-to-end -end for each one. And now you start getting some extra benefits where you can see a sensor from one thing can be applied to take action somewhere else. So for instance, we can have a bed sensor that goes off for senior living and is able to take that as well as a sensor in a bathroom and know if someone got out of bed in the middle of the night but they didn't actually make it to the bathroom, well, they probably fell. We make it really simple. It's a single cable that is able to send power as well as data communication and it can be installed by just about anyone. Igor is in 27 different countries and we have been fortunate to be growing at 300% a year. So I hope I'm back on uh, Kim. Uh, so yeah. let me introduce you. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Kim Johnson, you're, you're Vice President of Marketing at Igor. Uh, you work with Igor on a consulting basis for many years. So you've been really into the field and the customers, I would say. And she joined the company's leadership team full-time in 2018. Uh, Whoa, 80, that's, uh, that takes a while before we're there, hopefully. Um, before Igor, she built a career in marketing and client consulting, and uh, over to you. Thank you, Eric. Uh, I am happy to be here today, and I hope I can contribute to furthering the conversation. I'd love to level set a little bit. We just went through an extremely disruptive time period for buildings, and we're facing a new normal, and the reality is that over half of U.S. workers prefer hybrid working. They do not want a fully at home experience or fully in office experience. Um, we are also seeing that 86% of employees prefer working for a company that values outcomes over output. And then another interesting statistic is that 9% of people say that they prefer creative and collaborative teamwork at home. 
So when you look at all of those together, there's still a reason to have the built environment and building space, but the purpose of the building and the space has changed. And maybe this is a little bit marketing speak, but I would actually say a great way of thinking about this is what is the value proposition for your office, for your tenants, for your building, whatever structure you're managing or thinking about, the value proposition is is changing and in order to win the war on talent in order to um, best serve the people that you're trying to serve with your space you need to think about this value proposition because the old way of thinking of buildings as shelters and as a place to watch employees to make sure that they are indeed um, their eight to five or doing their correct output uh, has changed and that's no longer going to win you in the war on talent so when we talk about value proposition, there are a lot of ways that you can think about it. This might be the fun part. And it's a great way to engage your employees or tenants in asking them what makes a space valuable to them. And I, I've listed out some categories here that we all knew about a lot of them pre-pandemic. Security in your building, access control, sustainability really from an energy efficiency perspective, but increasingly, these spaces need to adapt to the reality of work today, which is, are they, in, are they allowing people to be fully creative? Are they allowing for collaboration? Do they support healthy environments? Because while we say post-pandemic, the reality is that COVID is still around. And there's always been pathogens and germs to worry about, as we can see with an annual flu season and colds. So suddenly, things like um, Jason was saying regarding air quality, is coming to the top of the wish list as well. So what you can do is you can look at all these categories and think about the technologies that support your value proposition there. And um, there's vendors everywhere. You can get sensors for air quality or um, leverage companies like the ones we've spoken that have spoken already. You can have um, sensors for lighting, understanding your lighting in your space and understanding your people movement and how they use the space and then change it so that it can be an opportunity to engage your, your employees, maybe make your employees more loyal because of the way you've included your culture into your building and, and making your culture, you're building a space to enhance your company culture. Uh, the opportunities for technologies out there from sensors to lighting to shades, it, it really kind of endless. There's a lot of vendors, a lot of opportunities, and you can pick as many or as few as you want, depending on if you want a light renovation, deep renovation, or a totally new space. But the key person to make sure you have in that room is someone on your team who has that IT literacy. It could be um, your team members, it could be a CTO, it could be director of facilities with a director of IT. And just make sure there's collaboration that on an ongoing basis, that um, people are connecting not just in the planning and the initial implementation, but an ongoing plan because technology is not set or forget it. And if we're having smarter building technologies, um, you need to make sure that those technologies adapt for future use cases. This is why you're going to be engaging with more software as a service providers. Um, and when you do that, you need to make sure that you can bring all these brands, all these providers into a manageable operational system. So um, we really propose a single software that can bring it all together. 
find your smart building software platform vendor who can unify your shades, your lighting, your sensors. This allows you to actually knock down those silos. It allows you to manage and control everything from one space. It allows you to see your data in one location. And this unifying software, if it has this enterprise level security, which should be an absolute must in today's world, you can actually streamline your cybersecurity efforts so that you can really prioritize securing your system as well as possible and then unifying all these other subsystems into that protection blanket. And that's a way that you can um, ensure that not only are you physically protecting your space with access control or make, talking about where to put your IT closet, but that you're actually protecting your cloud, your data, and you understand how that's working together and have a plan for managing it to really leverage it for your own business outcomes in addition to the people outcomes in the space. Uh, a great case study is one of our partners in Atlanta. Um, Southwire did a, an innovation studio, and this is in downtown Atlanta um, near Georgia Tech, I believe. It really was intended to be an innovation lab for Southwire, a huge international company. And it was intended to design, be designed for human and occupant comfort from the beginning. And this was several years ago. Their goals were really about human design growing sustainably and being a place to foster innovation. A lot of the values that are really coming to the forefront at all locations today. They chose to future-proof with a secure low-voltage backbone, which is power over ethernet. They have all these devices that they connect through, shades, lighting, access control, digital signage, touchless entry, and they manage it through a, sol a, sol a solo um, software platform. And they were launching it, they had a large event, COVID hit, like a lot of people, there was a reevaluation of what are the use cases here. They had really thought ahead. So with that POE backbone and a so one single software to unite everything, they were able to move really quickly. They implemented in this conference room, I'm showing intelligent disinfection, which is a UVC light that can disinfect a space it is really important to make sure there's no people in there. So this had to speak to people sensors, door sensors. It had to have double checks and anytime motion, uh, auto canceling, color coordination, every single possible safety matter, matter had to work and work perfectly and together. And the software allowed that to happen. And because they had PoE, their internal team could just swap out a tile for a UVC light fixture, and they did it internally. No demo, huge demo, no tearing down walls, no needing to bring in outside contractors. It was something they could adapt and test quickly because of a use case that didn't even exist two years ago. Um, and I think that is a great reason why you'll hear from a lot of people today about the power of power over Ethernet as a backbone. And I think it's something that really needs to be considered um, when you're talking about what your value prop is and how to achieve that for your building. So I just want to leave you with this idea that buildings are more than structures. They're a place for human connection. So it's about making sure your technology aligns to allow and enable that human connection. Because in the end, this is um, a quote from a Gensler work from home study this summer. Employees want an environment that allows them to work better. Otherwise, there's no reason for them to not work from home. So with that, keep that universal truth in mind. Employees do want the best of both worlds. Um, and so in the war for talent and improved productivity, how 
can you compete? Cool, very interesting. Love this whole idea of a unified platform. That's what I've been promoting for so long now. And um, I think this fragmentation of solutions and dashboards all over the place, that's really, you know, take, basically there was a research show that 98% of C-level actually do want to invest in smart building, even though they may not know what that means. Uh, but 49%, half of them basically bail out after the first introduction to a consultant selling them a either occupancy or health or well-being or smart building platform, which is HVAC, whatever. So, so pretty, pretty spot on. Uh, got a got a couple of questions, obviously. You know, what current trends are promoting? You know, regarding health and sustainability, smart buildings, and how has the COVID pandemic uh, played a role in shaping those? Yeah, I'm seeing two two sides to the sustainability story evolve and accelerating their evolution thanks really to the pandemic. And there's sort of the um, internal perspective. So air quality is a huge topic now. And also the idea of personal controls. People spent so much time from home that we're and you know it's no surprise we're seeing home projects, home renovations. Why? Because they can control their home space. And when they go back into the office, suddenly it feels like all these controls have been taken away. So, so I think you're going to see a lot of technology around um, personalization, having spaces respond to individual people. And, and that's really requiring that unification of the technology to talk to each other, to be smarter than ever before. And we're seeing um, the energy efficiency side because of the rise of power for ethernet, that's really enabling the DC microgrid to become more of a reality. And we're seeing climate uh, disasters really drive that as well. So the pandemic's driving the idea of making buildings human-centric and sustainable from that perspective, the health and wellness. And then we're seeing the um, energy crisis that is being accelerated by climate changing and by pandemic, uh, supply chain issues, you know, natural gas shortages, uh, really driving interest in uh, an alternative to energy efficiency, which I think is that DC microgrid. I think those trends are here to stay. Super. Thank you so much for your contribution. And uh, obviously, we have another opportunity to talk to you in a while. Um, let me start and move over to our next uh, panelist, uh, Tyler Andrews. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, Kim already mentioned power over Ethernet. Uh, Tyler is going to talk a lot more about it. It's one of my favorite subjects, as I was trying and talked uh, Philips into building a power over Ethernet lighting system. Uh, but before we uh, introduce Tyler, who's CEO of POE Texas, uh, we will have uh, a look at the introduction video for his company.
That was really cool. Um, Tyler, nice to have you on the, on the panel today. Uh, Tyler, you're a leader and influencer on intelligent buildings, specifically on power over Ethernet, uh, our shared interest and love for that kind of technology. Uh, with this unique mix of technical expertise, construction experience, and project management knowledge, uh, knowledge Tyler leads POE Texas by making technology accessible to uh, facilitate owners. And uh, with that, uh, over to you, Tyler. Eric, thank you for that introduction. And I'm really excited to build on what Kim presented to define smart buildings using power over Ethernet. For my presentation today, I'm relying heavily on presentations made by Donnie Walker from Newcomb and Boyd and Louis Swow from with Digital Sinclair. If you're interested in this topic of using PoE to define a smart building, I highly recommend you access their full presentations available through Bixie or on YouTube. I'm just giving a very succinct summary of the, their compelling presentations on using PoE in defining a smart building. First, let's dive in. First and foremost, we as the designers and implementers need to start with the need for a smart building so we can make solutions to fill those needs. Is the customer looking for new efficiencies in energy, operations, or performance? Do security needs drive better controls? Or does the business need to attract and keep the attention of occupants through amenities or public image? These are real considerations for how businesses face their customers, and we as solutions providers can make powerful recommendations based on those needs. Collected experience from multiple projects show customers are most interested in space utilization, building use optimization, and offering new intelligent amenities. You can see the lobby of this well-known company helping occupants select and order items from a coffee bar. The new reality for commercial buildings is that they're no longer simply a place to sit down to do work. As Kim pointed out, we can do that from home. Buildings need to offer occupants a reason to be there they cannot do from the comfort of their own homes. And building owners want to understand how to maximize their real estate investment. That's where POE comes into play. So we're gonna dive into how POE plays a role in this. Because POE combines the intelligence of the internet with power onto a single cable, it opens the door to a wide range of devices to solve any number of objectives. I'm only showing a representative list of the kinds of endpoints PoE provides as of the date of this presentation. This list grows every day. And I know because we're working on this list both to make new products and to be compatible with them. Just to highlight a few you may not have expected, you can gather and use heating and cooling data in a centralized manner. You can convert PoE to USB-C for laptops and tablets. You can manage your access control, as Kim had mentioned, and you can even create just about any application you can imagine with a Nook or be powered. So let's see what that architecture looks like and how it becomes a reality. First, it's built on a PoE switch or GPON network, and there are a wide range of possible design architectures to minimize the cable runs and decrease your carbon footprint, and I'll get to that in a minute. We often see, and frankly, we recommend that building networks be isolated from the information technology or IT network. The industry is settling on the term operational technology or OT network, which is a physically or virtually separated network for building devices 
Within that network, there's typically a gateway or centralized controller. In our case, that controller acts as a technology firewall, allowing Bluetooth, Zigbee, Wi-Fi, wireless, and DMX devices to all live on and be controlled by that network. It also allows users to access data and controls from either inside or outside that network. What's really important to point out here, and several people have talked about it in their presentations today, a good PoE intelligent building is not a walled garden. You don't have to limit yourself, for example, to light fixtures with an RJ45 port. Almost any LED light can convert to PoE, just like almost any IoT device can be managed on a PoE backbone. Because PoE is built on an industry standard, the only globally accepted power standard, by the way, it allows a vast array of devices to all cooperate on one system, which is the most compelling reason to choose PoE as a technology. Now, why else would you choose PoE? Because of the efficiency and architecture, which I can't go too far into, PoE offers an average 30% cost savings over conventional alternatives to achieve the same goal. It reduces carbon footprint by reducing copper by 60% and steel conduit by 100%. It integrates quickly because the communication protocols are widely used. You're not investing in a proprietary, in a proprietary communication method that's gonna age out in a few years. And it has a 20-year track record of success in the most critical of systems, including phones and security cameras. To wrap up, I am extolling all of the virtues of PoE, and I'm a big proponent of the technology, obviously. And unfortunately, five minutes isn't enough to discuss when PoE is not the best option. I'd be happy to follow up with anyone out there who would like to have a more in-depth discussion when PoE does and does not make sense. For now, I hope I've armed you with a little more knowledge so you can find your better way. So with that, Eric, I'll turn it back to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, you are preaching to the converted in my case. So uh, uh, we got some questions here. Uh, if I'm considering PoE as a design alternative as an owner, what are the first steps I need to take to make sure I do it well? You know, Kim had mentioned this before, and I agree with her. Uh, you're going to want to find the right partner. We have a whole white paper on the first five steps as an owner you can take. The goal is find the right partner who will be kind of that backbone, and then they can make recommendations as to architects, system designers, system integrators that can bring all of that system together for you. And that's a really important step because you'll want to make sure you start off with a very powerful system uh, by that, I mean like the, the the system that communicates across the board and then work your way into how that all that system will govern your whole building. Thank you. Um, how are municipalities or, or um, you know, authorities having jurisdiction responding to this new kind of, well, it's actually not new, as you said, but they consider it new, I would assume. But how are they responding to yep. this? That's a, that's a great question, Eric. And, and, you know, interestingly enough, most municipalities are very interested and engaged in this. So I can give an example for, I'm based here in Austin, Texas. Austin Energy offers a 30% rebate for systems that do the kinds of things that POE do, does. So the cities, municipalities, energy companies, they're actually very interested and engaged in this technology. There is an important recommendation. Whether you're doing POE or frankly, you're doing any kind of technology that's anything that's newer than the last 
than 20 years old, you want to get in early and discuss it with them. Usually the, the code officials have to check a few codes. They have to make some interpretations. If they come out to the job site and find you have built a building that they've never seen before, they might throw the book at you. But if you get in there early, explain what you're doing, demonstrate why it's a benefit to the community. We found 99% of municipalities, governments, cities, states, they're extremely happy to have it and are excited to see innovation come to their community. Cool. Another audience question coming in for you is, um, can most tenants go it alone on POE equipment when the building owner is unable or unwilling to install it? That is another fantastic question. And yes, in fact, we and it's a big benefit. So if, well, I'll give the cases when it is and isn't. If I'm going in and I'm not retrofitting the lighting system, I'm keeping the building interior or the tenant space interior mostly the same, there's not a lot of value necessarily for putting in a whole POE lighting system. So you could just retrofit uh, an AC controlled system on your POE network. On the other hand, if I'm going in and I'm doing basically a tear out and build up, POE is a fantastic alternative for the lighting and automation systems because it allows you to do it so much more cost efficiently. And then most owners are actually excited to have that system if you ever had to abandon it for any reason. But you'll, you know, the, the, none of the people here are going to abandon their buildings. Clear. Hey, and I, obviously I've been when promoting POE uh, big time since since the Edge building. Uh, obviously, in my day to day job, I still have a lot of, you know, pushback from from uh, you know projects and and people and owners on the cost of POE. I think it's not very well understood. Uh, I think the prices come down like crazy. What's, what's your view? How do you deal with that? Yes, and, that, and that's a great question. There is a value. You have to look at that right value to cost balance, and it, it depends on the equipment that you're using. The biggest problem that we see is uh, when people envision PoE, they're trying to envision like the most powerful, complex network switches that they can. And the reality is an OT network needs a lot of power it needs to be very reliable but it only has to manage a relatively small amount of data so a lot of the big complex features that come with very complex and expensive switches don't necessarily apply to your poe infrastructure for an ot network so if, if you can look at it in that way the sense the system can become very cost effective very quickly but it, yeah, it, you do end up with a problem. If I'm trying to buy the highest end switch with the most power in all the bells and whistles, it, it does get very expensive. So there's, there, you have to make some trade-off and some balancing act to it. And that's why we, we recommend, yeah, take a look at it and you can find some very cost-effective alternatives. Thank you. Very good to hear. Um, yeah, we're going to introduce uh, Ujani Deskupta from the Smart Building Innovations. Um, uh, she is the Smart Building Innovation Lead, to be perfect, uh, correct, at the Merck. Uh, we don't have a video, I think, uh, Ujani. We're going to listen to your uh, presentation straight forward. So uh, please go ahead. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. Can you guys hear me okay? Yep. Okay, wonderful. <clears throat> 
Uh, well, uh, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Um, uh, thank you for the invite uh, on this webinar. Uh, I have been with Mark about uh, three years now, almost three years. Uh, and if you don't know who Mark is, we are a Fortune 100 biopharmaceutical company based out of New Jersey uh, with presence in more than 140 countries. Uh, so being a large organization, as well as a very old organization, uh, does present some um, unique uh, challenges as well as opportunities uh, when it comes to developing a digital strategy and deploying uh, them at scale. So, uh, so one of the things um, that we um, uh, that I did when I first joined the company was uh, I did a current state assessment. Uh, so I looked at, uh, you know, what's going on in the company as far as smart buildings are concerned. And I, what I quickly found is that uh, there was actually a lot of very interesting projects happening. A lot of sites were doing many different projects. Um, however, there was no uh, one unified strategy. There was no standardization. Um, you know, data resided in all kinds of uh, different systems. There was uh, many different dashboards, uh, so which really made it a challenge to uh, truly, um, you know, utilize the data to its best capability. So. What we did is we took some time and we uh, built these guiding principles that you see on the screen here. And uh, the purpose of doing that was to really um, help us uh, focus, help us build our strategy and help us prioritize because uh, you know, smart building means so many different things to so many different people. And uh, you know, there's really uh, so many different use cases you can explore. So it was really important to us to really uh, focus on what would provide the most value. Okay, um, so this is a snapshot of our uh, smart building strategy. Uh, and this evolves around both employee experience, which is very important to us, uh, as well as improving how we operate um, our buildings and our facilities. Um, and, um, you know, these are not mutually exclusive. There is a lot of overlap in the use cases um, between these uh, projects. Uh, and you see some of the, uh, you know, projects that we have been in various stages of working on on this slide. And then tying all of this is really data and dashboard. So ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the data tells us the story of, you know, what's going on. And that is what truly helps us drive, uh, make decisions as to uh, what next. Okay. So this is one of the projects that I'm very proud of that we've been working on for a while in Merck and have been deployed in many of our sites. Uh, it's a workplace app. Uh, that's available in both uh, mobile as well as a uh, desktop version. Um, we did a pilot of a workplace app of, uh, a few years ago uh, in a couple of our sites, and that pilot uh, was so successful. Employees really loved it. We had a lot of positive feedback, and that helped us to build a solid business case to present to leadership and get the funding that we needed uh, in order to do a production uh, rollout. And uh, in terms of uh, defining, uh, you know, what this app is and isn't, and what the features and benefits is included in the app, we have been extremely intentional. Uh, just because it is possible to do it through the app uh, doesn't mean we will. We want to really make sure that every single feature has a lot of uh, value to our uh, employees. 
we um, yeah, take their feedback, we really try to understand their pain points and uh, evaluate whether or not the app will help solve that uh, pain point. Um, so some of the examples that I do want to highlight is, uh, you know, indoor navigation. Um, this uh, is uh, has been a very valuable feature um, through the app. Uh, many of our sites are really, really large with very complicated uh, layouts. Uh, so even if you are someone who has worked in that site for 20, 30 years, um, you know, you still come across, um, you know, situations almost every day where you have, you know, a, a meeting in a room number, a, B, C, D, the numbering makes no sense. Where, you know, what building is it in? What floor is it in? Uh, so to be able to quickly pull up the app and see where that room is and then get that turn-by-turn um, uh, -turn direction can truly be a, you know, a time saver. And some other examples that our employees really love is to be able to order food right from the app, uh, being able to look up the shuttle schedule or the public transit. Uh, or uh, be able to place a facilities related request like, you know, here's a coffee spill. Can someone please come clean it up? Um, the lights are out, the internet's not working or whatever the case might be. Uh, so you have it all in one application at your fingertips, very quick to, to write out a quick description where the problem is, take a quick photo if needed and then submit and then be able to also track the status of that request right through the app. Okay, and now the single pane of glass. So many of my colleagues uh, before my panel, fellow panelists, they have already talked about this quite at length. Uh, so I'm just going to sort of reiterate a lot of the things that they have, um, you know, already talked about. Um, for us, um, the single pane of glass, we view it as a, um, you know, foundational technology, it's critical foundational technology that, um, you know, enables us to go beyond, um, um, you know, FDD and really um, uh, make use of uh, all the emerging technologies like AI and ML and digital twins and predictive maintenance and so on. Um, and this uh, idea of a single pane of glass or a unified user interface is really um, uh, critical for a company like ours because we have uh, you know, so many buildings of different uh, different sizes, different, uh, you know, some are owned, some are leased. Um, they have come together in the portfolio through uh, mergers and acquisitions. So the point is that um, almost none of these buildings have any standardized system. So we, you know, pretty much have every BAS uh, system out there, uh, HVAC, lighting, you name it. Uh, so to be able to have this single pane of glass, so not only can you see what's going on in the building, but also be able to do command and control from that same platform, um, it just brings a lot of value that, uh, again, a lot of my panelists before me have already talked about. And then I want to briefly mention the importance of change management. So no project uh, can be successful if you don't have a solid change management uh, plan in place. And this starts actually from the ideation phase. So uh, it's really critical uh, to the success of any project, big or small, even if it is a pilot, to have a really good change management um, uh, program in place, start it from the ideation phase, and uh, of course it continues well after it goes live. So I just wanted to make sure uh, I talked about that because that's certainly been uh, one of the learnings for us is how important change management has been. 
And finally, some key learnings. Uh, so we've been uh, working on some of these projects for a few years now, and these are some of the key learnings um, that uh, we, we have had so far. Um, we, um, I think for me, uh, you know, one of the biggest eye openers is that, um, you know, let's don't wait for perfection, taking an agile approach and being able to show value in increments um, has been a really fantastic way for us to gain a lot of visibility in the organization um, and be able to gain the support and trust of our sponsors, of our stakeholders, um, as well as our customers. And so with that, uh, thank you very much. And I'll hand it back to you, Eric. Thank you so much. Um, obviously, you, you're the lead innovation. You're responsible. Uh, can, you, can you say something about how does it organize, how the kind of project teams you have, who leads these projects in Merck, how are they being handled? Yeah, um, so actually the beginning of this uh, webinar, Mark mentioned the importance of the business side of it, right? So technology comes later, but it's really important to have the business strategy, the KPIs all in place. Uh, so I represent the business side. Um, I'm part of a center of excellence for smart buildings. Uh, and I work hand in hand with enterprise IT. So all of these projects are equal partnership with IT and um, and my organization, my team, um, and and actually uh, the data analytics team. So it's it's really like a three-way partnership, um, and all three are you know critical components of making any kind of uh, smart building technology project successful. Thanks. Um, what has been the biggest challenge in implementing smart building technologies for you? Well, there have been many, I'm not going to lie. Um, but I think uh, the biggest has been that, uh, you know, everything that we are doing, um, there is no roadmap. It's there, they're in the first of its kind. So, so we are literally creating the roadmap and the processes for, you know, who are the stakeholders, who is going to sponsor it, who is going to fund it, um, you know, who is going to lead it, um, and how is the, you know, what's the vendor role going to be, how is the maintenance and operation. So uh, figuring all of that out has been, um, you know, definitely a challenge, um, but uh, it's also rewarding because it's, you know, we're, we're figuring things out as we're going along and there's a lot of opportunity for us to really have a big say in the future. Thank you. Uh, as you will recall, in the preparation, we talked about your app and uh, that you build your own. And that's something I see a lot. And we actually got a question in. So uh, basically, the question yeah. is, did Merck build their own app or did you work with a third party provider? Yeah, we did uh, work with a third party provider. And actually, this was um, when we first started the project, this was uh, a critical decision point. So there are obviously many ways you can go about building an app. Uh, you know, we're not, uh, um, you know, we don't have a, you know, a whole bunch of coders at our disposal. So we really wanted to have a product where it could be branded, uh, where we could have the features we wanted, but at the same time, not have to employ an army of coders. And the answer for that was to partner with a third party vendor with a low code platform. Uh, so that, you know, that enables us, we have the capability to configure all of the features. Uh, we work, do work with a third party vendor. Thank you. Well, with that, uh, first of all, thank you so much for your contribution. Uh, I think we need to move on 
to our final uh, part of this session today, and that's the, the opportunity for the audience to raise questions to the panel, or maybe the panelists want to discuss uh, certain things with themselves. However, before we do so, uh, we got a question uh, coming in earlier for Kim, and I would like to ask Kim to answer it, but it does relate to what you are saying, uh, Ujani. So uh, let's see how you how you both uh, uh, question that answer. So the, basically, the question comes down to this: Should your single pane of glass display the smart building rating things like Big Spire, Smart Score, Lead, Green Globe, whatever is around? And that that's. I mean, I have a strong view on that, but I'm not here to answer the questions, but to just moderate it. So, uh, Ujani, you first, maybe? Okay, let me make sure I understand the question. So, uh, could you maybe repeat that one more time? Yeah, so basically, it comes down, you, you made this, this, this argument for your single pane of glass. Yeah. Uh, you put all the data together and bring it all together. And the question basically, uh, relates to that, and that is asking. Obviously, Kim, you introduced the single pane of glass for your platform, uh, but it's about uh, whether that single pane of glass should also show things like building ratings, like Big or Spire or Smart Score or Lead or Well or anything of those. Oh. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, you know, many of those are important to us, especially Well Building um, and Lead. Uh, so, uh, you know, definitely, at least in my view, um, you know, the, the uh, dashboard needs to show that information so that the leadership team, when they are looking at that, that, that perhaps is one of their KPIs, they are able to see that data quickly. Yeah, cool. I so think I, it's a great idea. So I'll just, I don't have a whole lot to add, um, but I think it's a great idea. Most single pane of glass software is customizable enough that if you aren't big enough that you know your lead score while building, you know, maybe it's not displayed for you, but if you're working with a provider or developing your own app, um, that is a wonderful thing to include. It gets buy-in from everybody and, you know, you can just imagine the, the ripple effect of um, what you can set up to encourage employees to help contribute to better scores. Yeah. So, Eric, Eric, Mark Peacock, uh, just to add to what Kim and uh, Yujani just said, go back to the idea of create that building needs to be a trusted environment. Having those types of logos or display, however you, you want to partake of them, is an element in getting that trust factor across. A, a good example is we all go out to restaurants. You see the ratings of the restaurants. Are you going to go into a restaurant that's got a D or a C rating if it's by letters? No, you're going to go into an A, so forth. So just wanted to add that point to the discussion. It heavily depends on your budget, Mark. <laughs> you're right. Well, if, if, you're buy, if you're buying, we're all set, then we, we, we won't have to worry about that. So there you yeah. go. We definitely have to get to Waters uh, uh, of Chicago or Daniel's Royal in Seattle uh, for a good yeah. steak. You still cannot get here in Europe. So that, that's my favorite food in the U.S. You, you can see it actually, but okay. Um, they're now trying to talk us out of eating meat here in Europe uh, because okay. that's better for the climate, which is probably true, by the way. But um, So I, I think very interesting to see that that one way or the other from, you know, uh, from the infrastructure, POE level of infrastructure kind of things, from the integration, uh, from the platform, uh, the POE, but also uh, for the end user, 
I like Merck, you all talk, you know, there's there's a big red paper, how do you call it, a red line, whatever, through it, uh, which is touching on the same stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, that, that the real value of smart buildings is with the people and the health and the well-being and the productivity and the war on talent. And I, I really like that a lot. And the one, one thing I was, you know, basically for all of you, but we cannot all ask all of you, get, I guess, so uh, uh, back to the ladies again, maybe. But so you got these platforms and this single pane of glass or whatever. How, how about uh, what I call the democratization, democratization of data analytics so that the customer or the user is able to do whatever with the data? I see a lot of those platforms have pre-programmed you know, uh, screens and visualizations. So, so maybe start with Kim and then to Ujani this time. Uh, what, what's your view on that? Um, I think it's fabulous. That's sort of the next step in a sophisticated customer. So, you know, if you're smaller and, um, or this is your first step, finding great dashboards is gonna be a good entryway. If you're ready for the next step, um, having a platform or setting up your own software so that you've got a good data feed um, and understanding it's that goes back to mapping your data flow, understanding how your software manages it. Um, a lot of these single pane of glass uh, softwares have analytics um, in their backbone or have data and cloud storage and feeds available. And a lot of times, um, I guess I, I, I kind of can speak from like my company's perspective, I think it, it's a little broader than just our company. Um, there's often API opportunities. So you can actually take it from that, that cloud storage or whatever analytics you're using, and you can take it and feed it into your own team's analytics platforms as well. So you can, as long as there's an open API with the software, that's kind of the trigger word to look for. You can take it and you can you can do a lot more with it as well. So it really depends on how deep you want to go, how powerful the software you're using is, and how sophisticated your own team is if they're able to handle that. These sensors at the enterprise level produce so much data that um, it's you know I think Jason was talking about like we're not even it's producing a lot of data now and we're not even tapping everything. So if you tap everything and it's all on a POE network. You're going to generate so much data that you, the sophistication level does have to be there. So I hope that gives you some some opportunity. Yeah. Um, so Ujani, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Ujani, how are you dealing with data analytics on top of having your data lake? Yeah. So um, for us, early on, um, the the strategy was to we were going to create our own data lake, which we did. Um, and that is, um, you know, that was a really smart move uh, because that has created the foundation. So basically all our data leads to the data lake and we work really closely with our, um, you know, IT uh, colleagues to um, basically create architecture with every technology that we do so that, you know, that doesn't mean that um, we don't utilize vendor clouds, but um, ultimately that data lake is the source of truth for us. Um, and we also have an internal team um, that uh, basically utilizes this data to build our own internal dashboards. Um, so we do. We're we're very lucky in that that we've uh, we thought about this ahead of time, and I have my peers that have been doing this, and we're able to like you know build our dashboards to really you know suit whatever the need of the hour is. Um, so yeah, the data lake is is sort of um, you know absolute necessity for us for implementing smart smart building technologies. 
but, but I guess when you put it in the data lake, then you afterwards move it into, you know, to a, a hot part or cold part data and or historic data, and then you use something yeah. like Google Server to to still get a kind of organized part of that, or is that? Yep, that that's all part of our data lake strategy. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Cool. And Jason, we talked a little bit about digital trend, uh, and I was triggered by this again because you know we 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 hear people talking about connecting everything with APIs. Uh, I've been a CIO and CTO for Deloitte globally, uh, CIO for Deloitte. Europe for, for 23 years, and I hated APIs. Uh, I mean, they, they woke me up at night that something was wrong because some API somewhere in the world was causing trouble. And uh, now I see digital twin also as a very important part to be able to, you know, use, you still use APIs, don't get me wrong, but to have the API connect to the digital twin and not have all the APIs going peer to peer trying to integrate, and, and still would love to hear your view on that. I think at the digital twin, you know, allows me to have a single integration between a system or API to the digital twin. And when I want to change it, I only have to change that piece. What's your view on that? Well, you know, um, we we actually, uh, we have a, a white paper on um, analyzing IoT systems. And one of the things that we discuss is that an API, I think there's a lot of perception that an API is just, it's like a set of rules and very structural foundation. And the fact is, it's just not. All it means is, you know, here's a very loose framework on how you can code, and all APIs are not the same. So um, I, I I hesitate to to say that the kind of the solution to a bad API is digital twin. To me, it, it's it's more making sure that um, the APIs are selected properly, the systems are selected properly, the APIs are programmed properly. There's uh, checks and balances and, and measures in place to handle changing APIs and and you know data issues so that it's the the that the digital twin is not the the methodology for handling bad data at a core level. So similar to my previous conversation about that pyramid, making sure the systems, the fundamental systems where the data is sourced is strong and, and foundational so that we don't have to really worry about those kind of changes. Yeah. Okay, understood. Hey, and and Tyler, uh, back to this whole POE thing. Uh, obviously, I mean, this is getting all over the place, but I, I think you have a big job to do. Uh, here in Europe, I, I'm not sure if that news came across in the US, probably not. Who cares about Europe and the US? But I mean, uh, the European Union finally decided that all mobile devices or any device with a power supply lower than 100 watts need, needs to move to USB-C. Obviously, to the to the frustration of Apple, but even they have to comply. Uh, I think it's a little bit late because now they've all moved to wireless, so we don't need a plug anyway. But but I think we need to do the same in Europe to basically move everything that needs connectivity on a, on a you know secure level and and some serious power uh, to power over Ethernet. What do you think? I totally agree. It's it's an interesting conversation. We find customers are moving away from, you mentioned Wi-Fi. Customers are in Wi-Fi because of the risks associated with it. Most uh, most effective hacks and security breaches come through devices trying to communicate through Wi-Fi. When you've got a wired connection, that security risk goes down significantly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but I, so yes, the, the choice between Wi-Fi and wired connection 
go wired. And then when you get wired, then it only makes sense that you would go with uh, PoE. Now I'll, I'll bring something up that I think is really important. And this is as a PoE lighting manufacturer and designer, it may be shocking to say, uh, having an RJ45 port in the back of a light fixture, it's a novelty. And, and it's not realistic to, to believe that whole buildings are gonna be able to go exclusively PoE. So one of the things we feel like is really important is PoE is a platform and a backbone to govern the whole building system, not just things that are 100 watts and less. Because if you if you limit to that, then it becomes a very difficult discussion. So we feel like it's really important. PoE can be a platform that can manage both PoE devices and non-PoE devices. So that way you've got one secure, strong backbone and platform to build from. And then you can do anything. You can manage big AC circuits with air handling units, with HVAC. You could manage your IoT devices that don't use PoE. You can do it all on one platform. And I, with that, thank you so much, Ty. I think you uh, answered one of the questions coming in uh, on uh, dusty data traffic from sensors and IP capable devices, primarily right over wired or Wi Fi. I think uh, that. There's a Dutch saying which it can't translate or does not translate very well into uh, into English, but it basically means use a wire if you can, uh, and that relates a little bit to uh, to what you were saying. Uh, another question, I'm not sure who to address it to, but uh, another question that came is says, can a district or city help or hinder, for that reason, an owner's goal to implement smart technologies in their building within that district city, which is more common? Um, who feels obliged to? Mark, you, you, I hope I don't offend you, but you're the oldest guy in this room, I guess, or you're the, at least the wisest person. Oh, gee, thank you. That and your promise to buy me a steak dinner in Chicago. Yeah, this is all getting good. better every day. So uh, I guess I think it, it, it depends on the city, to be perfectly honest with you. What I have seen over the years while we've talked about smart cities uh they get started they stop they get started they get stopped for lots of different reasons my view is i think they hinder all right mm -hmm. let me be upfront. uh because i think it's totally up to the building owners and the operators to make their decision to go smarter and again you hear me saying that smart versus smarter and that it's up to them they have their own business uh objectives again how's it affect their 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 buildings and that what that continued that needs to drive it so i think eventually we will see more integration of buildings with the smart city environment but it's all about connectivity and i don't see connectivity as an issue between a smart city environment and a building at all today in today's time interesting i, I yeah Sorry, Kim, go ahead. I'll be real quick here. I generally do agree with Mark. I think jurisdictions are well-intentioned. And so the reason you see that there's a dissonance though, and so I don't know how to solve it. I think it's just having patience with the local authorities, but there, there's a lot of places moving forward with regulations on energy efficiency reporting, sustainability requirements, and yet the um, standards aren't necessarily changing and adapting to allow 
facilities owners to actually solve the problems in the best way. So that's where that tension arises from. So I think if there is an opportunity to remind uh, your local jurisdiction and work with them that you're well-intentioned as well and achieving the same goals, you, they can become less of um, a hindrance. Uh, and, and we're seeing places that are more forward thinking than others. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's the same in the US, but here in Europe, every city now has a smart city, you know, strategy, or at least they have a plan or, or something like that, uh, pushed by the European Union. And then when you start talking to them, they do everything to prevent it. And I think they should understand that, a for, you know, a smart building for me is just a little part, piece of the Lego of a smart city. And, and that should come together much better than it, than it does today. We've got another question. I think best uh, uh, to, to ask you, uh, Ujajini, uh, that is, the, um, should owners focus first on energy efficiency and utility cost reduction using smart technology to realize the greatest return on investment in the shortest period of time, then phase and other smart technologies that enhance the tenant experience? It's it's hard to say yes or no because it's it depends a lot on your company's culture and what the unique circumstances are. You know, for sure, energy efficiency it's a black and white ROI. It's so much harder to prove as opposed to a technology that really uh, is about employee experience, employee engagement. That's a much softer uh, business case. Um, you know, we actually started with the employee engagement because that was really important to us, and there were already a lot of um, activities happening around energy efficiency so we really wanted to focus on the employee uh, engagement part of it so i think if you if you are an organization that you know hasn't really done much with technology yet you know i would say yeah that's the you know uh, low hanging fruit uh, easy to prove and then you move on to other things that has a softer business case but really depends on where in the maturity curve your organization is yeah very interesting and, and obviously this i think this this very much relates to uh, the famous JLL ratio of uh, yeah. $3 a foot uh, for utility or energy, uh, yeah, utility, and then like 30 for rent and 300 for people. And that's exactly uh, what I've been yeah. driving when we built the edge for Deloitte. It was all about people. Uh, now, in my presentations and conversations with customer, it's very hard to make a good business case pure on the energy. Um, but the good news or the bad news, now Europe, forces you into mandatory compliance, both from the building owner as well as the uh, building uh, tenant. So there's now, uh, at least you can sell, sell the same platform twice, which is a good thing. Uh, and you have to be compliant with Paris proof. So you have no choice. You have to prove your energy consumption. And going forward, you have to prove your uh, how your energy is built up. So how much comes from coal or uh, nuclear or, or whatever you use. And on top of that, you have to get to Paris proof, which means 50 kilowatts, including plug loads, by 2050. The average in Europe is now 150, which is still, mm. sorry, better than in the US. But um, uh, I mean, it's it's not as simple as people think to get there, I guess, especially for existing buildings. Well, with that being said, I, I found it very interesting. Thank you so much for your contribution. Uh, I think a lot of common ground and uh, very interesting for the audience, I hope. And with that, thank you so much. And uh, back to Sarah. Thank you so much, Eric, for um, facilitating the conversation today. 
I don't think we could have had a better panel um, of thought leaders on today's session. I thought it was a very interesting conversation. Lots of great um, thought leadership and input. Really appreciate you sharing your insights with the community. I do want to invite everyone who's listening in and of course our esteemed panelists to join us for our conference, which is coming up in November. Uh, we'll actually kick off the conference with a fun day on October 31st. We'll have a little Halloween outing in the um, evening and then we'll um, do some pre-conference events on Monday. We'll start off with the cyber forum in the morning and then have a few role specific events in the afternoon. And we'll kick off the um, actual conference with the general session on the second uh, Tuesday. I do want to point out one specific event that we are doing every year at the conference, uh, which is our smart building showcase. That's where we actually take some of the most um, innovative projects from all around the world, um, including the Edge in Amsterdam and including other um, projects by um, uh, that some of the panelists contributed to. Um, we have them as part of a showcase. It's really somewhat of a poster session where you can go around, talk to the people that were in charge of these projects, get your questions answered and learn about these very innovative smart buildings um, that are definitely on the way of being the smart building of tomorrow. And with that, um, yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out and I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, bye. Thank, Thank you much. everyone. Yeah. Take yeah. care. Thank you, have a nice one.